All right, so uh, we're continuing with Job. Um, I think the last time we ended at verse 5, and we talked about the blessings of Job and and about... uh, you know the kind of man that he was and you know how god holds him up as a righteous man not sinless but one that was um, devoted to god in faith and and so if you look at um, you know the story in the first few chapters of job here the the story is really going to unfold and and we as the readers get to see something that job and the other players in the story um don't get to see so what we after verse five, God turns his uh, the word turns his attention to what's going on in heaven with God and and with the angels and Satan and and um, we get a, a sneak peek into the motives behind you know what God is doing and and how this is playing out and but it's something that Job doesn't have it's some information that Job doesn't see. Uh, going on so basically he's just ha- he just has to uh, when he goes through these trials and tribulations he has to take it on faith that God is still taking care of him that God is still you know um, God is still in control of all things and and therein lies the problem with Job and with uh, the uh, the men that come to advise him verse 6 says now there was a day when the sons of god came to present themselves before the lord and satan came also among them and the lord said unto satan whence comest thou where do you come from and satan answered the lord and said from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it and the lord said unto satan how hast thou considered my servant job have you have you looked at job have you seen job um, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that fears God and turns away evil, eschews evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Um, hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. Look at all the blessings you've given God, uh, Job. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, And he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thy hand. He says, You can have all the things, uh, all his possessions are under under your authority, but don't put your hand toward him, the man himself. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Let's just stop there and we'll look at. Um, some of the things that that uh, that shows us um, when the sons of God came before the Lord, sons of God repeatedly in Scripture is it's talking about angels <clears throat> and the uh, the the first creations of God, the ministering spirits that uh, do God's bidding, that go uh, from Him and patrol the earth on behalf of the those that. Uh, are righteous and suffer you can see that now i do want to say there are some instances of sons of god that don't refer to angels uh, in scripture so there's a debate over genesis 6 and i would be among those who do not see angels as those sons of god that took daughters of men upon themselves i see that as uh, the godly line of seth but 
there are several places where the the term sons of God is is used to to uh, to talk about angels, and this is clearly one of them. Just based on the context, um, the the sons of God are those that come and present themselves before the Lord. We're looking into the heavenly courtroom here. We're looking into the throne room of God, and the sons of God are presenting themselves uh, before the Lord. It, it seems as if it gives it the feeling that it's they're coming to report on uh, on what they've done or been doing or what they've found or you know their ministries their service to God whatever it is that God has had them doing um, when it says walking to and fro on the earth um, Zechariah 1 10 um, and 11 and then Zechariah 6 verse 7 uh, for me it sheds a little light on to exactly what um, what the angels were doing? What are they? What are they reporting on? What does it mean to walk to and fro, you know, on the on the earth? Zechariah one ten, uh, Zechariah is receiving a vision of of the horses. I'm sure you've you probably know about the colored horses from Revelation, but not many people know that the basis of those uh, of that um, of that picture is found in Zechariah. Um, and uh, Zechariah ten one ten and eleven says, and the man. This is a guy that's. This is the messenger that's appeared to Zechariah. The man stood among the myrtle trees and answered. Uh, Zechariah had asked, "Who are these these colored horses?" And he says, "These are they whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro through the earth." And they answered the angel in. And they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest. So when the when Scripture talks about the walking to and fro and they came to present themselves before the Lord and he asked Satan, Where you come from? He says, I've been going to and fro on the earth. Um, what it is in Zechariah is they are patrolling and reporting and, and all those things. And so... Uh, it's it says that the uh, the sons of God presented themselves before the Lord and Satan came among them also, and it says um, verse seven says and the Lord says to unto Satan whence comest thou where do you come from and Satan answered the Lord and said from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it now if we take the whole of Scripture we know that you know Satan is walking to and fro on the earth yet he is not ministering for God he is seeking those as a roaring lion seeking who he, he may devour and so the first question that God asks Satan and incidentally let me say this um, there is a definite article in in the Hebrew text the word Satan means accuser. There's, you know, that's what it means. So it could be used in a lot of different contexts. Um, but here, uh, Job, if we were to translate it the, literally throughout the text, it would be the Satan, the accuser. The accuser came to uh, do what he does best and to accuse and. So the angels appeared before the Lord and the accuser was with them. And because it has that article, it's taken as a definite name. And I don't have any problem with that, just calling him Satan or or the accuser or the adversary or the one, you know, we know who we're talking about. We're not talking about some impersonal evil force out there. We're talking about a, a personal real being which is um, which is uh, encompasses uh, uh, God's wrath upon him and 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 disobedience and seeks the the godly for uh, to see who he whom he may devour. Uh, first thing God says to the Satan is, um, 
you know, have, have you checked out Job? You know, have you seen this man, Job? He's a... He, He's a devoted man. He's devoted to me. He says, have you considered my servant Job? He says, there's none like him in the earth. He's a perfect and upright man. And what makes him per- perfect and upright? We talked about that uh, at the beginning of chapter one. Um, it's not that he was sinless. It was that he feared God and he turned away from evil. Did Job have sin? Absolutely. There is no one who does not sin. That's Romans 3. No one does good. But you can see in the picture of Job sacrificing and Job offering sacrifice to God for his sin and for the sin of his children that Job did have sin. And as we get further into the book, we're going to see Job admit some of his sin before he he's going to admit, hey, I, I know I'm I'm a, I'm a sinner before God, you know, but he's going to say that he has done, he has feared God and been devoted to him. And he's going to um, he's going to be uh, um, defending the premise that that uh, the suffering that he's enduring is not because he is just this evil, wicked man, but it's because of some purpose that God has that we don't know about. And uh, when he does break down toward the end of the book, God steps in and, and he's going to chastise him. So Job's devotion to God is acknowledged and God challenged uh, Satan to consider Job. Um, he saw his faith. He said there's no one like him. He fears God. And uh, the first thing that God does when he when he looks is he sees the devotion of Job. He sees the perfection of Job. And for I don't know about you, but for me... Um, I have a hard time, you know, I know my own heart, I know my own sinfulness, I know my own wickedness, and, you know, I know God's holiness, and that is the that is the fundamental assertion of the gospel in Christ, that when God looks at those who repent of their sin and trust in Him, trust in the Son, trust in the sacrifice that He gave and the, the resurrection, that He does not see anything but the sacrifice that paid for the sin. So, therefore, when God looks at the sinner who's been saved by his grace, what he sees is the perfection of his son. And, uh, I mean, that's it continually amazes me. And I, I continually find myself having to fight to uh, keep that in the forefront of my mind because I know I know who I am. I know my heart is desperately wicked, and I know that without God's grace and His Holy Spirit and the regeneration that He's brought, um, if it if it's not for that, um, I would be man. I would be headlong into my sin and loving every minute of it. Uh, uh, so, for me, I, I I like to call it preaching the gospel to myself. You know, and it's something that I have to do every day. It's easy to it's easy to get bogged down. Um, with uh, well, I mean, just think the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now, if you run into a, a person who says, you know what, every second of every day that I live from the time my feet hit the floor, every second that clicks by on that clock, uh, to the time I get in the bed at night, um, I have loved God. Uh, as much as he deserves to be loved. I have worshipped him as much as he deserves to be worshipped. I have given him all the praise that he deserves. I have given him all the obedience that he deserves. If a person says that, I mean, they're either delusional or they're just actively trying to deceive because God is perfect. He's holy. And to be holy is to be completely perfect without spot or blemish. That means... That means 
not just not sinning. It's easy for me to go out in the world and not rob banks or not kill people or not, you know, do those things. But but control your thought life in such a way where all of your thoughts, all of your actions, all your motives, all your Everything that is inside of you is loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength every second of every day. And if you fail in that in any second, guess what? It's sin. Now, when you hear me say that and you think about that, man, it's it's almost hopeless sounding. Well, who in the world could ever be right before God? And that is the point. There is no one who does good. There is no one who is righteous, not even one, Romans 3. And so for God to look down, and of course we know it's by the the Messiah who was to come in Job's day, but it's by Jesus who died on the cross. We look back to that today. We know that it is through that sacrifice that God looks down and he sees Job as perfect and righteous, devoted to God, and eschewing evil, turning away from evil. And so, I don't know, it just takes it, it takes my breath away, really, just to even think about God looking down at me and all those who believe, all those who trust in Christ, and seeing perfection. When we know that we're not perfect, He's given us a perfection, He's imputed a righteousness to us that doesn't belong to us, it belongs to His Son. And because of His death and my union with Him in His sacrifice, He's given me a righteousness that's not mine. He's given me a righteousness that was paid for by another, and He's taken my sin, all the sin that I've ever done, all the sin that I will ever do, and he has placed that on Christ. Now, when you hear that, <clears throat> uh, for a believer, it just makes your heart leap with with love for for God. If you heard me say that, and what you heard was, yea, I can go sin all I want to because Christ has paid for that sin, and I can do whatever I want, then I would seriously question whether you've been regenerated at all. I've, I'd seriously question whether you are are a true Christian and not a false convert at all because the Holy Spirit that God uh, indwells the believer with, it causes him to love God. It causes him to fear God and to hate evil. It causes him to do the very thing that God is um, lauding Job for doing. He was devoted to God. He was he was uh, fearing God and turning away from evil. So the fact that that the first thing that God says about Job is this is this is my son, look at him. You know, knowing that he's not sinless, knowing that he's fallen just like every other person in Adam, but by faith in by faith in God, by faith in the sacrifice that he made, by trusting in the promise that he's given that uh, your sin can be atoned, it, it can be taken away, it can be covered, it can a righteousness that doesn't belong to you can be given to you. Um, God looks and sees him as perfect. It's almost too good to be true. And what is the first thing that Satan does? It's the first thing that he does in all our lives as well. He comes and says, nah, Job doesn't love you as much as you say he does. Look at Job. He, basically, he accuses Job of idolatry. 
he accuses Job of what we were talking about last time in, in verses 1 through 5. He accuses Job of loving God's blessings more than God. And, man, we do, we do that so often. Um, he basically accuses him of uh, adultery. He, Satan says, do you think Job loves you for nothing? Uh, verse 9, let me turn back to here. It says, verse 9 says, then Satan answered the Lord and says, does Job fear you for not? Do you think he, you think he's devoted to you for nothing? He says, hasn't, haven't you made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he has on every side? You've blessed the works of his hands and the substance is increased in the land. He has prospered and done all these things. Um, the Satan says, uh, if you, Put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will curse you to your face. He will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto him, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only upon himself put forth, put not forth thine hand. Uh, he says, if you, if you were to take away the blessings that he, you have given him, the, the prosperity, the, the finances, the, the life of comfort, the, the love of the family, the, the things that he enjoys every day. If you were to take those away, he wouldn't be devoted to you. He wouldn't love you. He would curse you to your face. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. God had done all these things for Job. The The text showed us that, you know, in, in verses 1 through 5. God had blessed him beyond measure. Um, the question here is is given, does Job love God because he loves God? Or does he love God because God has done all this for him? Now, anyone under the sound of my voice has people in their life you know that when that phone rings and it's them on the other end they don't they want something from you the only time they call the only time they you know want to have relationship with you the only time they want to have fellowship with you is when they need something from you and we know how we feel about people like that but i find myself and we talked about this last time i find myself treating god the same way i mean when you when everything's rocking right along and it's all good and and there are no worries there are no problems there are no trials there are no you know things like that that uh, you know cause us to to be afraid or to worry um god takes a back seat you know it's all good i don't need you today let's not worry about it but you know then let some trial come let some tribulation come let some sickness come let some tragedy come and it's all of a sudden oh i need you god um we do that quite often, and this is what Job is accusing – I mean, this is what Satan is accusing Job of. He's he's like, you don't – he doesn't love you for no reason. He loves you because you've been so good to him. And then Satan challenges God. He challenges him to test Job. He says, if you remove your protection and your blessings from Job, Job won't love you. If you touch all that he has, if you uh, take his family, if you if you take his blessings, if you do all those things, he won't love you. He'll curse you to your face. So basically what he's saying is that Job is an idolater. And this really makes us search our hearts. Do I love God for God? Or do I love God because of what God's done for me. It's a it's a hard question and it's a it's one that uh, we need to answer honestly, one we need to face honestly. Um the reality is think about what you've been blessed with. I mean, as I'm 
you know, as I'm sitting here recording this, I man, I've been blessed with a lot. I've been blessed with a whole lot. My family, my my job is a job that I love. You know, I get to minister to people. I get to do uh, things other people you know don't get to do. I don't. I don't dread. You know, I don't dread going to work. I don't. You know, and uh, I'm blessed. I've got enough. You know, I'm not rich, but. Uh, I don't want for anything, you know. I, I, I'm getting a little round around the midsection, so you know I'm not going hungry. Um, if God were to take all that away, how would I react? Now, you know, in my theological mind, I want to say immediately, "Oh, I would still love God," you know, because I know I know it to be true, and I believe it with all my heart that God doesn't owe me anything; He doesn't. Um, But that's easy for me to say as I'm sitting here and haven't lost anything and haven't gone through anything. Um, I've been with people that have uh, lost children and uh, tragedy has struck their house or their, you know, stuff. And it's 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 not easy. It's not easy. And I want to say with all my heart that, you know. I would grieve like anybody else, and I would hurt like anybody else. I would probably ask the same questions that other people ask. Um, I would probably ask a lot of questions just like Job asked. But I have to believe that I know from the bottom of my heart that I would come out the other side still trusting in an all-powerful, all-good God who, who works everything for my good. I may not like it. And if something were to happen, you know, I want you to know right now, if you see me and something has happened in my life, uh, I'm not going to be if God forbid one of something happens to one of my children, I'm not going to be standing up and, you know, jumping up and down laughing, saying, well, God works everything. You know, I'm going to be grieving like everybody else and I'm going to be hurt like everybody else. And I'm going to go through the pain that I've seen on so many other people. You know, I'm I'm a person. I'm going to go through all those things. But at the bottom, at the foundation where where the rubber meets the road and when it all comes down to it, I got to understand that God doesn't owe me anything. He doesn't owe me life. He doesn't owe me anything whatsoever and if he were to remove the hand of blessing that he's put on my life and your life um he wouldn't owe me an explanation and i think that's at the heart of the book of job um he spends job spends so much time um just wanting to be comforted and the friend spends so much time trying to give him explanations as to why this has happened and then when job uh, when Job finally gives in and starts asking for explanations, um, that's when God comes up and says at the end of Job, he says, who do you think you are? You know, I'm God. Um, you, you weren't around when I created all this stuff. You're not you don't you're not in charge of any of this stuff. I don't owe you any explanation. Um, and I want you to think about this, too, is the fact that you and I are born. You and I are born in Adam and we're sinners. We, we don't just we don't just. We're not just sinners because we commit sins. We we don't just have a list of you know bad things on our account that you know we have to give account for. We are sinners by nature. We are sinners at the very core of who we are. And so not only do we have to give an account for the things that we've done, but we we have to give an account for the things that we are. And so 
the the Bible says, you know, we're going to talk a lot about Romans and uh, those things throughout the book of Job, but the Bible says that all of us are sinners and we deserve nothing but condemnation from God. We deserve nothing but wrath. We deserve nothing but hell. God would be right. Uh, I was I was 29 years old uh, when I was born again, and I was a false convert from the time I was 11, um, and I just lived any way I wanted to, and um, God would have been good and moral and just to have stricken me dead at any time. He didn't owe me the many opportunities he gave me to come into fellowship with him. He didn't owe me the the chance that he gave me over and over again to to confess his name, to to turn in repentance and faith to him. He didn't owe me that. He didn't owe me that at all. And here's what I want you to think about. You and I, as sinners, you know, it's no problem for us to admit that we're sinners, but what we have trouble admitting is the fact that um, there's battle lines that are drawn, and there's good and there's evil, and if we're going to find our position on the battlefield, we're on the wrong side. We're on the evil side. It says the mind that's set on the flesh in Romans, the mind that's set on the flesh is enmity towards God. It hates God. Now, you, th- you may say, well, I've never, I've never hated God. But when you put yourself as Lord of your life, doing what you want to do, a spirit of independence, I, I, I'm not under anybody's authority. You have, you have made yourself God in your life. And when you do that, you become you've broken the first and and greatest commandment. You've broken the, you know, you're an idolater. And so um, I want you to understand that you and I deserve nothing but condemnation. And when I say that, I mean every second of every day. Wherever you're at right now, you deserve condemnation and wrath. But for the most part, for the most part, condemnation and wrath don't come. What I mean by that is just take it out of a spiritual or religious context for just a second. What do you enjoy? Do you enjoy, I don't know, riding four-wheelers? Or do you enjoy fishing? Do you enjoy sunsets? Do you enjoy time with your family? Do you enjoy reading books? Do you enjoy whatever it is that brings you pleasure in this life? is a gift of God's grace because you don't deserve to enjoy a sunset. You deserve to experience condemnation at every moment. So at the moment where you know, you're know you on vacation and you're sitting on a beach with your, your wife or husband or whatever and, and you, you're just watching the sun go down and life is just good and whatever, um, at that moment you're experiencing a blessing, a grace from God because you don't deserve to enjoy anything. You deserve condemnation and wrath. The, the the moments of enjoyment that we have in this life, which, if we're honest, we have to admit are more often than not, are paid for by Jesus Christ. They're paid for by the cross. God has, God has set aside his wrath for a time and placed it on his son. And so God's wrath will be satisfied, and it'll be satisfied in one of two ways. It'll be satisfied 
as you pay for it eternally, or it'll be satisfied because Jesus, the eternal one, paid for it. And so Satan brings an accusation toward Job before God that, um, you know, it it really hits the nail on the head in a lot of our lives. Do I love God? Is God enough? Is he enough? All by himself. If he were to remove his hand of blessing, would I still love him? Would I still be devoted to him? If you've been changed and regenerated, then the reason you love God is not because you're so awesome or because you're such a great person. The reason you love God is because God's Holy Spirit has changed you. And so, therefore, nothing in this world, nothing in this world can turn your heart back. God said in Ezekiel, he said, I will I will take out your stony heart and I'll put in you a heart of flesh and I will cause you to keep my commandments. I will cause you to walk in my statutes. The fact that you love God, if you love God today, is a gift of God's grace that he's bestowed upon you. And so God was confident in Job and he had a, and he had a right to be because he knew the work that he had done in Job's heart. And he knew that Job loved him not because Job was such a great person but because God is such a big God. And so the beginning of this story, the the whole story is going to revolve around these first opening chapters that that you know Job is a devoted man to God, and that devotion is going to be tested. It's going to be tested by trial, and at the end of the story, I don't mind spoiling it for you. At the end of the story, Job is going to come out more blessed than he was at the beginning. But he is going to learn a very important lesson, and that lesson is there is such a thing as redemptive suffering. There is such a thing as suffering that makes you more like Christ. There is such a thing as as God using uh, very bad things to bring about good results in your heart and life. And no matter what's going on, for us to question God, uh, you know, at the at the at the root of it, for us to question God's goodness, uh, to question what He does and why He does it, um, is the heart of doubt. I mean, it's it's the it's the center of of uh, of unbelief, and God's going to show up. And when He shows up to Job, I love this. I love the picture of God in Job because so many today. I'm a, I'm a youth pastor. By trade, and and uh, you know, I deal with young people, young adults, and college age, and that kind of stuff. And this this God is my homeboy attitude. Um, wow, it's it's so far from the biblical presentation of God. If you look at when God showed up in in front of anybody, when God showed up to talk to anybody, the the immediate reaction was fear. When He showed up to Isaiah and Isaiah six. Man, Isaiah said, "I'm, I'm, I'm undone. I'm, I'm coming undone. I'm, I'm unclean." I, you know, he he was coming apart at the seams when, uh, when, uh, when even when Jesus revealed Himself to Peter, um, Peter said, "Go away from me, Lord. I'm, I'm unclean. I'm an unclean man. I can't stand before you." When the disciples revealed, the disciples were afraid of a storm as they were in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and. 
And it says they were afraid and they went and woke Jesus up and Jesus stilled the storm. And then it says that the disciples were more afraid when they realized who this was that was commanding the the wind and the waves. Uh, when God shows up to speak to Job, it's not a fuzzy bunny God that's come to uh to uh, you know, make you feel better and to and to pat you on your head and and to, for you to sit on his lap like Santa Claus. It's the God of the universe who's all powerful and says, you know, who who do you think you are? Who do you think you are um, to tell me how to run my universe? And the reality is, Job d- didn't understand that the things he were go- he was going through was um, God working for his good. And I got to admit, it would be hard, if not impossible, for for me going through some of those things to look up and say, God, I know it's all good and everything's fine. You know, that's the trial of Job. That's the trial that he's he's going through. And so um, Job's faith is being challenged here. And that's the center point of of how the story's going to unfold.